Hello, Air Warriors. Welcome to another great episode of Chevrons, a podcast for the enlisted force by the enlisted force. We're going to do something a bit unique today. This is the first episode of Chevrons where we have not one, not two, but three commissioned officers as part of our panel. You might ask yourselves, well, why no enlisted folks? This is, after all, an enlisted issues podcast. Well, you are absolutely correct. That is why the topic of today's episode is enlisted commissioning the ins and outs of getting commissioned as an enlisted person. Each of our guests today are prior enlisted company grade officers who each made the jump from stripes to bars. If you are considering the same, this discussion might provide some valuable insight into how to prepare for this, the process itself, and what it looks like once you've made the transition. Let's get to know our panelists. Starting on my left, uh, please give me your name, rank, job when you left the enlisted force, and your rank and job now, and a bit of background. What's your military story? Sure. So uh, I'm Captain Vincent Tripodi. I am uh, currently the base civil engineer here at the 102nd. Formerly, I did uh, 14 years as a prior enlisted. I was a crew chief on B-52 bombers when I was active duty. I was stationed in Minot, North Dakota. Uh, it wasn't so bad. And then uh, I went from there to McGuire Air Force Base, where I worked on KC-10s. I uh, transitioned into the reserves there, and then I also uh, spent three or four years as a reservist. Then I transitioned to the National Guard, where I went to the 143rd. I was a crew chief on C-130J models. Uh, that's where I started going to college, and then I made my way out to Peoria, Illinois, uh, as a crew chief on C-130H models, um, and then that's where I got my commission in civil engineering. Wow, that's quite a history there. A lot of aircraft. Yes, One of my favorite years. aircraft, the B-52. I love the buff. I have a lot of pieces of it. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, well, hopefully that's a good thing. <laughs> All right, Lieutenant. Hello, my name is Colleen O'Hara. I'm a first lieutenant in the United States Space Force. I work at the 6th Space Warning Squadron at Cape Cod Space Force Station. There I am the chief of weapons and tactics. So we take what our radar does and we try and make tactics, techniques, and procedures to try and make us uh, fight in today's war when the radar was built in the 70s. Before that, I was a POL troop, so I refueled airplanes. So I actually handed the hose over to Captain Traponi and would refuel our airplanes. I did a few B-52s too, but we mostly refueled the KC-135 over there. Started in the Air National Guard, did ROTC at the same time, and then I commissioned into the Air Force as a space operations officer. And then afterwards, once the Space Force became a thing, I transitioned to commissioning into the Space Force. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Lieutenant Nancaro. Hey, good morning. Um, So first Lieutenant Alan Nancaro. Um, So I commissioned in 2020. Prior to that, um, I enlisted in 2008 um, here into the 102nd Intelligence Wing. Um, I've been security forces the entire time. So, uh, when I was enlisted, you know, I worked everything from just your standard flight operations, um, to where I ended up doing a large amount of electronic security. Um, and then now I'm the, uh, operations officer. So I handle all of the operations and training for the squadron. Excellent. Excellent. And you enlisted in what year was it? 2008. And, uh, you, when you left, uh, enlisted service, what, what rank were you? Uh, I was a master sergeant when I left. Cool, cool. Oh, wow. That's good. That's cool. I I was a senior airman when I left, and I couldn't imagine going through all of the – up to master sergeant and then making the transition. Yeah, it honestly it, – we'll get into it a little bit later, I think, but uh, it, it helped my transition quite a bit by having that having that experience. So Good OTS money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, excellent, excellent. Um, so the first question I've got for you folks is, uh, uh, and, and whoever wants to answer first, please feel free. Um, when did you realize you wanted to pursue a commission? Was it right from the start from your enlistment? Did you, did you come to the conclusion over time? Uh, okay, so uh, this is Captain Chipotle. I don't know if I have to like introduce myself uh, every time. I, I think we'll recognize here. your voice. <laughs> All right, it's local. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> I actually have a different answer maybe than than you guys. I didn't want to be an officer. Uh, I never saw. I never sought it out. Um, I was a crew chief. It was very fun. If it, uh, if you guys know aircraft maintenance, aircraft maintenance is fun, yes. and I'll leave it at that. And I was happy. Uh, I made the planes fly. Um, and then I came in, and I just hung out with my friends on deployments. We hung out with our friends. We made the planes fly. I, I really had no, um, no desire to be an officer. And then uh, once my uh, commander, when I got to Peoria, my commander was Colonel Carpenter, who's now General Carpenter, who's the A4. Uh, he was my squadron commander, and he found out that I had an engineering degree which apparently in the Air Force is like being a unicorn. You, you don't, because you, you can't commission as an engineering officer without an engineering degree, a specific type of engineering degree, which I had. So uh, I was changing a tire. It was in the middle of winter. I was dirty. I had grease on my face. My Gore-Tex was all black. And uh, they came and they pulled me off the tire change. And they brought me in front. They, they brought me in a room full of like, uh, like 306s and 305s. And they were just like, Tripodi, you want to be an officer? And I was like, okay, sure. And uh, I, and then six months later, I was a second lieutenant uh, reporting to uh, Colonel Leach over at the Civil Engineering Squadron. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> that's yeah, that's I, like uh, you, you, like a f- almost almost a field promotion, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I I was really back and forth. I didn't. I, I was genuinely happy where I was at. Uh, I was a supervisor. I was a tech sergeant when I when I got out of commission, and I had been doing it for fourteen years, so I was very comfortable. Um, I, I was a technical expert, and uh, people. I, I enjoyed it, and then I really had a hard time. I went into General Carpenter's office uh, almost daily. Well, Colonel Carpenter, I guess, at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, sir, I don't know if I should do this. And he got sick of it one day, and he, he like, closed the door. And uh, I won't swear on the podcast, but he was like, you want to get stuff done? That's what officers do. If you don't want to get stuff done, get out of my office. And uh, wow. that was kind of the whole... Uh, Tough love like, kind of thing. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll do it, yeah. I guess. <laughs> so, um, and then, uh, yeah. That was that's mine. So it might be a little different. I, I didn't seek anything out, and uh, so I'll, I'll let you guys talk to that. But yeah, um, yeah. So I, I I can go next if it's a, um, so I kind of similar. I I had no I had no intention of, of commissioning my you know my plan um, for my enlisted career had always been that I, I wanted to be I wanted to be the security forces manager in security forces. That was that was always my goal. Um, you know, continuing to, to kind of climb up the ladder, learn everything that I could from different things. Um, and it wasn't until, um, you know, my, my now mentor, Colonel Lisa Hasey, um, kind of a similar, kind of a similar story of if you want to get stuff done, you know, that's what officers do. Um, you know, I, I wanted to, I really wanted to kind of change the culture and change the organization, like my specific squadron, the 102nd, um, and she and I had a, had a very, you know, honest heart to heart conversation. And, and she was like, you would, she's like, I have no doubts that one day you would make a great chief. She's like, but I think that you'd make an even better officer. Um, and that you could have like a really big lasting effect, um, on the unit. So she was like, you know, if that's something you want to pursue, let me know and I will help you. If not, she's like, no, you know, no harm, no foul. Um, 
So it, it helped because I was already pursuing my bachelor's degree at the time. So I was already close to being done. So it was really kind of a, uh, it was a quick pivot. And next thing I knew, I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm in it now. I'm now I'm doing it. You know, my degree's done and you know, now, now I'm studying for the AFOQT and it seemed like it just happened super, super quickly. Um, and you know, another part of it that's funny is, uh, you know, I started the process when I was a staff sergeant, became a tech sergeant. Um, and then, uh, I ended up getting dates to NCOA, um, which is what ultimately, you know, let me become a master sergeant. But because I was already pursuing that commission, I, you know, I really wasn't that interested, um, in, in trying to go to NCOA. And, uh, you know, I, I sought out some feedback from, from some other mentors and stuff and said, Hey, is this even worth it? And they were like, absolutely. Like getting that senior NCO experience, you know, while becoming an officer is going to serve you, you know, miles and miles down the road. And, and it absolutely has. Excellent. So yes, my story is very different from both of you. I originally joined the Air National Guard strictly to pay for school. I never thought the military would be a career for me whatsoever. My recruiter told me, you know, free tuition to the school that you're going to if it's in state. Is that true for Massachusetts too? Okay, mm -hmm. great. And so I was just going and then I did one semester at school and then the next semester I took some time off to go to basic training and tech school. And then when I got back, I was walking around campus one day and I saw someone else in a uniform uniform, and I walked up to them and said, hey, I also wear a uniform. Why are you in this uniform? Your rank looks different than mine. And they had, you know, cadet rank on them. And so they said, oh, I'm in ROTC. And I walked over to the building with them and they said, this is how you get a commission. And I said, man, well, I got nothing going on today. I might as well try it out and see what happens. <laughs> and so I even joining and then going into ROTC, I just felt like everything was falling into place. And so I didn't have much enlisted time under my belt, you know, only six months really when I decided I was going to pursue commissioning. Um, and then I did the four years in school while serving as an enlisted member in the Air National Guard. So I was doing dual hat. I was um, both getting my enlisted time in and serving in ROTC, which I will say is definitely a good way to get your commission because my tuition was paid for with uh, the Air Guard and then my room and board was paid for with a scholarship for ROTC. So definitely a good way to snake the system, I think. That's great. That's a, that's a very unique story. One of the topics that we talk about a lot on this program is mentorship. Uh, did you all seek out a mentor who had done what you wanted to do? Um, you know, a former enlisted officer, was there anyone who guided you through the process, either in the decision-making process or in the actual nuts and bolts work of the commissioning process? I, uh, I think as far as, no, I didn't seek out a mentor. Uh, I didn't even know that I wanted, that I was going to be an officer. And right. then one day I just showed up, um, as far as a mentor, after you start, I, I'm going to say I think it depends on your job. Uh, I've been as uh, – my perspective as an Air Force officer is from civil engineering only with an enlisted perspective of aircraft maintenance and uh, an enlisted perspective of what an officer should be. And so um, once I became an officer, my commander at the time quit. She was a technician. She had enough. She got passed over for promotion a couple times, and she quit, and I was put in charge as a second lieutenant. And uh, there was little – there's little help 
Um, and you have to, as an officer, you just have to do it. That whole, we get stuff done, that's what you do. And uh, from my perspective as an engineering officer, maybe an MSG officer, and I know that there's, there's officer-rich career fields. Like if you're a pilot, there's a thousand right. officers mm -hmm. that are around that can show you the ropes, and your job is to fly. Um, and then whatever additional duties, I'm not sure. I can't speak for the Space Force, but as far as engineering, there's nothing. Um, and so you have a regulation that you have to follow, and you have um, mentors kind of happen by accident. Uh, I got lucky enough to, when I was a second lieutenant, I don't want to talk for too long because I'll no, talk no, forever. When I was a second lieutenant, I, uh, it was easy for maybe six months, and all I had to do was kind of sit back in my office, and Colonel Leach was gone. Oh, I don't know if I should call her out by name, but she's, yeah. she's retired. Um, and uh, there was nobody there to tell me what to do, and so all I had to do was walk into a room, and people would stop talking and say, can I help you, sir? And I'd be like, yes, uh, keep, doing, uh, keep doing a good job, <laughs> you know? And, and it was so easy. And then one day, I got a phone call from the National Guard Bureau, uh, and I was very happy on the phone, like, hey, how can I help you? And they were like, I'll tell you how you can help me. You can start doing your job. And they laid into me, telling me how awful I was, how they haven't heard from me, why haven't I submitted these pa this paperwork, like all these, just a laundry list of things. And I'm like, I, I didn't know I was supposed to do that, you know? Um, and I was lucky enough at that time to have a senior NCO. His name was, uh, he was Senior Master Sergeant Ben Reed. He's Chief Reed now uh, in Peoria. And he was the type of guy who followed AFIs and did the right thing no matter what the opposition was. And that ended up being my mentor. And as an officer, uh, strangely enough, that's kind of how I molded myself into. And so um, as far as seeking out a mentor, there is a mentorship program. I think it's my vector. Uh, I never did any of that. The mentors that you have are the people that, you surround, that you're surrounded by. And uh, I was lucky enough to be surrounded by good people. Um, here I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by a few good people. And, um, and uh, yeah, I didn't seek out any mentors. They just happened on their own. I'm not sure if I answered your question properly. Well, I, let me, uh, yes, you did. And uh, let me just uh, ask a follow-on question to that. How did your years of service, 14 years, right, enlisted yes. service, help you when you got cut loose and you were kind of flying solo there? For <laughs> uh, on, uh, I, don't think it, I don't think it did. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say that. I knew programs. I knew that there were AFIs. I knew that there were TOs on the aircraft maintenance side. You had to follow rules. I knew that I couldn't just do whatever I wanted to do. Um, but in OTS, they don't really teach you that stuff. In right. tech school, they don't really teach you that stuff. They teach you a few basic things to kick you out as a second lieutenant, and then you're on your own. And uh, depending on who you're surrounded by is, is, is whether you sink or swim, and it's the type of officer that you choose to become. Uh, so as far as my enlisted time, um, it didn't. One of the biggest things, I was a second, I was a commissioned for four months, and we went on a deployment for training, or DFT. We went to um, Canada, and I was, it was me, another first lieutenant, and a captain, and uh, we all got there, and then 40 guys from CE, we were supposed to build stuff for the Canadian military. So I get off the plane, and we get to camp, 
And then uh, I'm just standing around, and a whole bunch of guys start standing around me. And then they, uh, they're just, like, all mingling. And I didn't think anything of it because I was just waiting for orders, you know? Sure. And then somebody, uh, uh, it was a senior master sergeant, um, came up to me and was like, sir, what should we do? And I was like, oh, oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm the one that's telling you guys what to do. I didn't know, like, I had to figure it out. And that was, like, my first, my first like, nobody's going to tell you what to do. In case anybody's out there wondering, uh, no one's going to tell you what to do. There's no, tech school isn't the same. You're not told, um, I mean, you have a job to do. Uh, my job, for example, is go be this civil engineer. Uh, it's so broad. No, there's no guide. There's no books. Um, there's AFI guidance that you have to follow, and sometimes you don't even know that you have to follow it. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, my enlisted. As far as being enlisted, that experience wasn't there. I was always shuffled around and told, "Here's your mission. Go complete it. Tell me when it's done." As an officer, uh, that doesn't happen to you. Kind of humbling. Mm-hmm. I like that story you tell about the uh, senior coming up to you and saying, what do we do now? That happened to me. Very small situation. We were doing a squadron breakfast and we were just cooking and everyone looked at me and said, what are we going to do right now? And like you said, uh, like pilots and operations and things like that is really officer heavy. Same with the space force. So I wasn't used to being in a setting where I even still had to do those decisions yet because there's so many officers around all the time. We have uh, just a few number of enlisted. And that day they were all the ones who volunteered to help me. But I will say my mentors have always been the enlisted folks. Uh, I remember when I would go back for my drill weekend af- after I had been doing my ROTC things, I would talk to my, uh, he's now a chief, uh, Lonnie Major, and he would you know, kind of coach me up because I knew my enlisted time was really minimal and I didn't have a ton to grab from. And so now I feel like because there's so many officers around, I seek the advice of other enlisted folk around me because I know I don't know everything and they've been around way longer and have more experience. So I think because I have all the officers to observe all the time, when I seek advice, it's usually from our enlisted force at work. So I'm kind of a I'm kind of a little bit of a combination of the two stories. Um, so I, you know I was fortunate that my commander at the time, Lieutenant Colonel Ahasi, now Colonel Ahasi, um, you know, was a really really good mentor to me um, and really helped kind of guide me through the process and kind of give me a peek behind the curtain of what it was going to be like after I commissioned, especially because I was commissioning into the same unit that I had left enlisted, which is not which isn't always an, a very easy road. It's it's very confusing with relationships where, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I'm wearing stripes and then the next day I've got a gold bar. And, you know, uh, again, like, you know, Captain Tripodi said, people are like, hey, sir, what do you want us to do? And, you know, you don't 100 percent know the answer to that question. Um, So she helped guide me through the process. um, But, you know, she's she went up to JFHQ after. So when I came back as a uh, as a second lieutenant, uh, you know, kind of similar to uh, to Captain Tripodi's story. Um, you know, normally, you know, on the active duty side, especially in security forces, I would have came back as a second lieutenant and been a flight commander, but I was immediately, you know, made the operations officer. So thankfully, you know, my enlisted time helped because I knew the career field. I knew what everyone should be doing. I knew the AFIs I had, I didn't really need to take a ton of time 
to become a technical expert, which is kind of what, you know, company grade officers are supposed to do, become that technical, you know, expert and that technical leader. Um, I already had that expertise, but it was very difficult coming back as a, you know, you, le- you know, I left as a, as a senior NCO, um, you know, working my way up. And then I came back as a second lieutenant and I was starting all over again. So, um, you know, it, it was difficult immediately becoming the operations officer because, you know, for me, now I'm a second lieutenant interacting with 04s and 05s um, and 06s all the time and trying to figure out, you know, how do I support my squadron the best way without stepping on my own toes here? You know, because as a master sergeant, I had a little bit, I, I would say almost a little bit more of a voice because you're viewed as that person who has that, you know, that expertise, you know, a senior non-commissioned officer. And now you're a, a second lieutenant and, you know, it gets a little bit difficult there. Um, but as far as seeking out mentors, you know, Captain Drapoti hit the nail on the head there. You know, the people that are around you, I had, I had chiefs and seniors that helped me. Um, and now I'm fortunate enough that I have a, you know, I have a good amount of company grade officers that I'm close with. One of them being Captain Drapoti that have kind of walked a uh, similar, thanks buddy, <laughs> <laughs> that have kind of walked a, a similar path that makes it easy to kind of bounce things off of like, Hey, how did, how did you, you know, go about this situation or, you know, Hey, what do you think the best way to talk to this, you know, Colonel is about this, you know, because I really disagree and, and it helps you navigate those. Do you think having your enlisted time has helped you empathize with the enlisted troops too? I feel like I'll hear a lot of my peers say things that I'm like, why would you ever say something like that right now? But having the time and the knowledge of what it is to be enlisted, I think helps understand what other people are going through. Absolutely. 100%. It definitely, it definitely helps. And even, even for some of my newer senior non-commissioned officers that, you know, are senior master sergeants, um, or just becoming master sergeants, um, having that experience and also kind of going through a similar change, you know, of, you know, really now being in a very, very personnel supervisory type role, it, it makes it easier to kind of empathize and, and kind of relate to them and say, hey, I've gone through a similar situation. It's, it's, it can be a confusing, you know, time. Let me try to help, help you through it and, you know, kind of tell you my story and see if that, you know, if you pick up on some, some things along the way. Yeah. And, uh, the LT said something, you know, he, I think commissioning into a career field that you already know would, would give you that extra, like, you know what the cops at the gate go through. You know what it's like to stand in the cold for four hours straight and check IDs with a heater that's broken, you know? <laughs> um, and that's, that's the thing, like, as a, as a, as a, as an aircraft maintainer in Minot, North Dakota, I know what it's like to stand outside in negative 40 degree wind chill with 45 mile an hour winds uh, and your head sock blows off your head and you and you just have no hat now, you know? Um, so um, I know what it's like to work and I know what it's like to not be the one behind the desk. And so, yeah, I think it absolutely helped. Um, and I think that's why, I think that's, you know, alluding to, you know, what Colonel Hasey had told me as a mentor back in the day. I think, you know, now I look at it and I kind of think, oh, now I know what she was talking about. No, now I know why, you know, 
um, she thought that, you know, someone who had been enlisted could make, you know, a, a significant impact on a unit. And it's it, exactly what you were saying, Captain Tripodi. It's you, you have that experience, you know what the enlisted force has gone through, and it helps you not lose sight of that as you progress through your officer career. It also helps you navigate uh, going into, so I was aircraft maintenance that went into civil engineering, and up to that point, all I knew was that if the sink was broken, I called CE, and then three weeks later, when it wasn't fixed, I was like, what's CE do? Like, what do they even do over there? You know? Um, and then going from that, like, to, to actually being in CE and, and not knowing what was happening, it uh, is very easy for people to just, you know, when you say, hey, why, why is this happening? And the, it's very easy to come up with an excuse. And if you don't know, then you just accept that excuse. Uh, so having the enlisted experience also kind of ta ta taught you how things things are supposed to work. And so it doesn't matter whether you know what you're doing or whether you don't know what you're doing. You know that there's a process and you can kind of tell when a process isn't being followed. Um, Colonel Carpenter, as soon as I told him that I, that I was accepting the, the thing, he was like, TBV, Vinny, TBV. And I was like, what? Uh, does TBV mean? And he was like, you got to go find out. And I spent like four days asking around and nobody knew. And then somebody was like, oh, it means trust but verify. And then <laughs> I was like, trust but verify. And then I, I, uh, I really didn't understand what that meant. Even after I commissioned and I, I came back and it, it takes a couple of times being burned before you, uh, you realize that there is a process. There's always a process and it's your job to follow it. Um, I, I don't know what that has to do with uh, the enlisted question, but I felt like I was going there. It's good advice nonetheless. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I heard that quote as know who you need to trust or know who you can trust and know who you need to verify. And I think that just goes along with knowing your people and what they're good at and where they struggle. And yeah, I like that quote too. <laughs> I like that one. That's good. Excellent. Excellent. So shifting gears just a little bit, is there any information you can impart on the audience in as far as the nuts and bolts of getting a commission, like the process, uh, either prepping for it, um, going through the process itself, um, preloading your education, making sure boxes are checked, anything at all that would help someone who's considering a commission. Yes, I need to take this one. People often told me before I took the AFOQT, you don't need to study that test is easy. I failed the first time I took it and Every, my life flashed before my eyes. I said, I don't, I don't even know everything I've been working towards. I don't know what's going to happen anymore. Please, please, please study for the AFOQT. Work hard at it. If you're not good at math, like I'm not, work at that, you know, 45 minutes a day or whatever you can spare. Just work towards that AFOQT. I can completely back that one up because I am not good at math whatsoever. <laughs> um, and, it, I, and I studied a lot to be able to pass the AFOQT and I, it is still narrowly, narrowly scraped by. Um, there's so many resources available. Um, the books are on Amazon and they're cheap. You know, they're like $10 and you get a bunch of quizzes that you can take. And the biggest thing for, for me with those is, you know, the questions aren't the same, right? They're similar, but what they did for me is when I went to go take the AFOQT and they give you the crazy timelines that they give you like, Hey, there's a hundred questions and you have five minutes to answer as many as you can. You're not shocked by it at all. So if you've done the practice with some of the books, 
you don't have any of that kind of shell shock of how am I going to do this where you lose, you know, 30 seconds in your own head. You're, you're prepared for it. You're ready to go. Um, and yeah, I completely agree. Like there's so many resources available, study for it, study for it. Cause it, it is a difficult, it is a difficult test. And I just want to give a third plug as a person with an engineering degree, who's wicked good at math. Like I did, I did four semesters of calculus, thermodynamic, like I've done all the math, like fluid dynamics. Uh, it's not this, it's trick math. It's like SAT math where you, where, where they ask you the questions that you can make really hard or you can make really easy if you know the tricks. Uh, so th- I, th- that's me too. I, uh, um, just because if you think that you have a, a English a degree in literature and so you don't need to study for the English part, you better study for the English part. And I'm also going to say don't just buy one book. You got to get like four or five. Some books are good in one area. Some books are good in, the, in another area. And if you want to do overall good, then that's what you need to do. Also, keep in mind, your career field that you want to go into has – has minimum, you need to be competitive. So like as an engineer, obviously you need math and science. And so you need to have your math and science scores be high. Um, but the rest of them don't really, like I didn't need my pilot scores to be high because I'm not going to be a pilot. Yeah, I was doodling on that section because <laughs> I thought, you know what, I am tapped out from the math and yep. the English. I don't want to be a pilot. I don't have the eyes for it. I'm just going to take a break. I looked this. at those ones and I was like, oh, these schematics are interesting. <laughs> Obviously up and to the left. <laughs> That's great. Um, so I think um, we covered some of the challenges, but as a as a new officer, what are some of the challenges? And I think Captain Traprodi, you, you mentioned a few, uh, but have, have, have any of you had any significant challenges that you're like, you know what, you know, it'll pass, time will pass. Uh, but anything um, that you've run across that's been a hurdle? So I think, I think one, of the, one of the significant challenges that I faced, and I alluded to it a little bit, is, you know, you, you come back, you go, to, you go to TFOT, you get trained, everything goes great, and you come back and you're like, you're ready to hit the ground running. Like you're 100% ready to like... You're blued. Be, yeah, you're blued. You're, you, you're ready to be the greatest officer the Air Force or the Space Force has ever developed. Like you're 100% ready. Um, and it's hard to kind of take that step back when you get back and it's like, slow your roll, second lieutenant. You need to learn. You need to learn what it is to be a company grade officer. You know, you're not immediately just a, you know, a colonel or a general and you can change the entire Air Force. Um, you kind of have to take that uh, slice of that humble pie and that's not always easy, especially, you know, it wasn't easy for me because I had made my way through the enlisted force by being a hard charger. Um, so it was, it was difficult to kind of like hit that wall and say, okay, let's slowly roll. Let's, you know, learn some things. Let's learn how to be an officer. Like you might have the technical expertise, but you need to learn how to be an officer. And I didn't really understand what that meant when I would get told it as a, as a brand new second lieutenant. And uh, I, I've kind of, you know, come to understand it of, you know, understanding, um, you know, the things that you need to do as an officer, understanding um, that it's not about you doing all the work. Um, it's about developing other people and really learning what it is to, to be a, a leader um, and try and help develop and mentor um, those, those folks underneath you. Um, so I think that was, that was one of those things that was, that was a challenge when I came back because, um, you know, it's not like it's written in, it's not like it's written in black and white. Um, and you know, anyone that is, 
you know, looking to go down that commissioning path, um, you'll learn that the, we spend a lot of time in the air force, which, which we should, it's great. Spend a lot of time making sure that the enlisted force has very good goals, kind of career paths, um, making sure that, you know, we really define mentorship. We really define leadership. Um, when you cross over into the, the officer ranks, there's, there's less of that. It's more like Captain Drapodi had alluded to. It's, it's more open-ended. Um, it's really, you know, a choose your own adventure book kind of. So that can be difficult when you're used to going from something that's so structured to something that is still structured, but not as black and white. The choose your own adventure is huge because I spend so much time of my day trying to figure out what I'm going to do. What's important? What's my biggest priority to accomplish right now? I might uh, feel that way because I capped out as as a senior airman and really my most responsibility was go train so-and-so how to drive a truck kind of thing. But just picking out the priorities and where you need to spend your time and also prioritizing time to walk around and observe. You can't just sit there all day and go task, 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 task because I feel like once you're an officer – maybe not so much in the lower ranks, but you have transitioned from being the ones answering the questions to asking questions. So you have to be able to take a step back. And I still struggle with this every day, but be the person who answers that. Why, you know, why are we doing something? What's the point of doing this? And then putting that into the work. You can't just be so task saturated all the time that you don't take the time to step back and take time to think about what's going on and also what's going on with the people around you and who needs to be taken care of. Um, you, yeah, you really, the choose your own adventure is, su- <laughs> is super relatable because you're really figuring out where your values are, not having someone figure that out for you. Right. In OTS, they spend a class, maybe you get, I'm going to say two hours tops, and they come in and they make you uh, act it out. They say they give you a little scenario and they say you're the commander of a squadron. And somebody walks in who has you haven't seen in two weeks, and they come in and they tell you blah 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 blah, uh, and you do your two hour class, and then that's and then you're a leader now. You know, so uh, one challenge is that that's not enough. Uh, you, someone's gonna come into your office with a real problem. Like someone's gonna be involved in a homicide, maybe. Someone's gonna, um, someone's gonna be involved. There are real things that are gonna happen to you, and you're gonna have absolutely no idea how to deal with them. There's also gonna be people who come into your office, and they're like, "This person has MSNBC on TV, and I want them to watch Fox News." And you're like, "All right, well, what are you doing in my? You know, like, 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 there's all those things um, are are real things that you have to deal with." Uh, and you're just never going to, you, you can't prepare for it in OTS. You're going to go in cold, period. And that's um, why I think it's so important to really, like once you once you commission or even before, if you have those good mentors or those good, you know, people that you can reach out to, to run, you know, obviously not releasing PII or any specifics of things, but, you know, to be able to have those hypotheticals like, Hey, if you had this happen to you, do you have any advice on how you would you would handle it? Because if you try to handle those situations alone in a vacuum, it's 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 really really difficult. And and I speak that from experience, right? Like you, you know, you come back as a second lieutenant, and you you want to be able to have the right answer to everything because you feel as though internally that's how you should be. You're like, oh, I'm an officer. I should have the answer for everything. I should be able to to you know 
give direction, you know, to, to the enlisted force with no problem. Like that's what they pay, you know, they pay me for, and that's what they trained me to do. That's and, what they teach you. That's what they teach you. You're supposed to do. You solve problems period. And so you go in with that mindset. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say one more, one more big problem that I had was that I was enlisted for like a wicked long time and I had a whole lot of friends and, uh, some of those friends outranked me when I was enlisted. Some of them were chiefs. Um, and then when you come back, you're a second Lieutenant and your friends still want to be your friend. Uh, and they, that may or may not be good for you. Uh, they'll call you, they'll call you know, I, I had senior airmen calling me Vinny in front of my new squadron where I was a second lieutenant, where I was supposed to be in charge. And then when you correct them, it's not met with, oh, sorry, sir. It's met with, what, what are you talking about? You know, I had yeah. chiefs, um, who would deliberately do the opposite of what you said, because they're not listening to this dummy who's now a second lieutenant, you know, um, people who walk by and refuse to salute, like it happens, you know, because yeah, they knew absolutely. you as a, uh, as an enlisted person. And those are issues that, uh, they don't cover in OTS. That's just, you, you, you're a human being and you got to use your experience as a human being to deal with those things. And, uh, that's where it goes back to your mentors again. You know, uh, you get yourself, you got to find your core of people. Uh, most likely, I think they're going to be enlisted people. Uh, I, you know, uh, um, unless you're unless you are in an officer saturated environment, your mentor is going to be a uh, a good senior NCO who you trust, and that's going to be your person that you bounce everything off of. Um, but that's where that comes in. Uh, those are those those are issues also that I I dealt with. Mm-hmm. Um, at least for a little while, you know, now I'm at a new base. It didn't happen so much. And I'm a little bit, you know, I got eight years as an officer, give or take, you know, seven, seven years and 10 months or so. And so, uh, I, um, I don't really run into too much of that anymore. Well, I don't imagine, uh, as a second Lieutenant and that's happening. Um, it's a, it's a time in your career when you're trying to establish yourself as an officer and the authority that comes with an off being an officer and you've got that to deal with. It just makes it twice as hard. <laughs> it makes it twice as hard, and and it's it's difficult as well because you you know you what you don't want anyone to look at you that way, right? Like you know, it, I would I would hear sometimes you know, well that's not that doesn't sound like a Master Sergeant Nancaro decision, or you know that doesn't sound like something Master Sergeant Nancaro would say, and and it's tough because you have to kind of say. I'm not Master Sergeant Nancaro anymore. I'm Lieutenant Nancaro now. I'm I'm still Alan Nancaro, but I am in a completely different. You know, I'm an officer now as opposed to being enlisted, and there there are differences between them. It it doesn't just you know it, it doesn't just continue on. There's a cut and then a and then a start over, and and it is it's tough because you don't want people to, you know, think you're a jerk or think that you're a bad leader, um, because there are people out there that think you know you have to be. There, there are some people who think that being friends with everybody is the most effective way to lead people. And there's a lot of people that will tell you that that's, that's not a hundred percent. It's not so, it's not so black and white. It's very gray. I had guys that I worked with for years. We went, we got deployed together. We got, we went TDY together. We got, we drank together. We laughed so hard together. Um, and then when I got back and I went to CE, they thought that they could say, Hey, I know a guy in CE now. And when I told them, no, 
uh, there was they, they made a scene about it almost. You know, I, I'm I'm gonna say that, that like they found me uh, having a drink with my wife at the base club, and they made a scene like, how could you not do this? And just like you can't do that to me now. I'm a lieutenant, and I'm not in that capacity anymore. You know, and that's a real. Those are those are problems that they don't they don't even warn you about those problems in OTS. Um, I'd say you know from the sounds of it. And just from personal observation over the years, uh, that's probably one of the bigger challenges that is more of an intangible challenge that people don't think about immediately is this could forever affect friendships, you know, long-term friendships, people that you've gone to war with, quote unquote. Um, and, and that's something that, you know, I'm sure a lot of folks don't think about when they, they start on this process and how important are those relationships to you because they could be forever affected. Absolutely. So the next, we're, we're starting to wrap it up here, but um, what, what I want to ask next is what advice would you have for an enlisted person looking to make the move? Um, what are some of the things you wish you had known before you started your own journeys? So I think the, uh, so I wrote it down here because it, it's one of the things that got said to me when I came back as a second lieutenant, and I've really, I really took it to heart. Um, don't be an enlisted officer. And the way that that was described to me is, um, you know, like, like I said, with my background, I, I was a master sergeant. I was a program manager. Um, I was used to doing a lot of, I was used to being the go-to person, right? Hey, we need, we need this done. Yep. Roger that chief, Roger that sir, ma'am. Got it. going to take care of it. Um, you still get that as an officer, but just because it's assigned to you doesn't mean that you need to do it. And it's not that you don't want to do the task that's given. You might have the ability to do it, but you're not, you're not leading people if you just do everything yourself. So, and you're not building that camaraderie unless you go to, you know, that NCO or that senior NCO and you tell them, Hey, I've got a task from Colonel so-and-so. I'd like to work this project with you. And, and, you know, when you set those meetings up, you set those milestones, you set, you give them that guidance, look at this AFI, look at this. And you take that product that you get, and maybe it's not how you would do it, but you take it and you look at it and, you know, maybe you'll go back to the drawing board and say, Hey, there's a few things here that we do really need to correct. Um, but just because it's not done the way that you would do it, if it's still done, you know, to the Air Force standard and it's it's still meeting the objective, you've got to let you've got to let the people underneath you do that, and you've got to give them the guidance to do it. Because if you just do everything, then you're not you're not helping anybody, and you're not helping them learn. You're not in a vacuum, you know, right? You, you know, uh, you've got to spread the wealth. You got to share the uh, the task. Mm -hmm. If you do all the work, uh, who are you going to write the award for? <laughs> Good point. Myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, as far as uh, advice, there's uh, there's a lot you can't really sum up. There's 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 pros and cons to being an officer, uh, and you can't really sum up. Over the years, you just you take in so much. Uh, I guess it would be to be prepared to work. Um, and work hard and, like, study things. Even if you're not interested in them, you need to know about what you're talking about before 
you confront somebody. You need to have all of your ducks in a row, and uh, you don't know what those ducks. Trying to I'm trying to like put this together. Like I said, I didn't practice this, but like you you don't know what you don't know, and so before you make a decision, you have to seek out all this information. And I don't know. I don't even know how to practice that. Um, Just have to practice being informed. I guess uh, you know, but but uh, you don't even know how much. I'll give an example. When we went to OTS, uh, they don't give you coffee. And you sit in this classroom for hours and you're tired uh, and there's no coffee. And then one day I saw somebody with coffee and I was like, how did you get coffee? And they were like, I don't know. We asked for coffee and we got it. So I was like, oh, well, I'll just ask for coffee. So I was like, uh, uh, who is my captain? Uh, I don't remember her name. But uh, we said, hey, can we have coffee? And she was like, no. You got to write a memo. You got to you got to write a memo, you a memorandum. Justify it. You got to justify your coffee. And we were like, "What?" And so we got in this we wrote a memo and we said, "That's fine. You know, we're techs and master sergeants. We know how to write memos." So we write this memo and it wasn't and it didn't meet the requirements of the tongue and quill for a memo. And we were like, "What is the tongue and quill?" And they were like, "Oh, that's a book that tells you how you're supposed to write memos." And we were like, "You don't even know that that's even a thing. And um, also, like, like they made you a flight commander, and you have responsibilities, and then one day you're just getting yelled at because you didn't do your responsibilities. And you're like, what responsibilities? And they're like, well, did you go on Blackboard and look in the flight commander folder and see all the things that you were supposed to do? You're supposed to write daily reports. You're supposed to do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, nobody told me. And they're like, why should we tell you? You're an officer now. And so you just, like, you have to practice finding out what you're supposed to finding out what you're supposed to do that day and then the choose your own adventure button. yeah it is that's that choose like you have to practice however you can deciding what it is that needs to happen and then and then making that happen i guess so on the, and that I, really I, goes back to the whole you know it goes back to mentorships and relationships i mean there's been plenty of times where i've talked with captain Tripodi and i've said hey have you ever done this before or have you ever you know spoken about this subject or whatnot and you know sometimes it's oh yeah i have you know look at a b c d or e um and other times it's like no i haven't but you know what i might know someone that has and it's you know it's building those relationships because you know i think at the core no matter what right every officer wants to do the right thing for their for their airmen and for the force in general um but it's a matter of trying to get the force to understand that you know, just because they're like, hey, someone did this that was, you know, not fair to us. And you're like, that, you're right. I'm going to go talk to their commander. I'm going to go to talk to their flight commander. You still have to arm yourself for that conversation. Yeah. Every single conversation that, you know, every professional conversation that you have as an officer, you should be educated and kind of know, you got to ask yourself, okay, what questions might they ask? And how can I make sure I'm educated? Because the more educated and prepared, the more informed you are. And the more receptive people are going to be to that conversation. If you can answer every single question that they have, um, then you're showing that you're that prepared officer. And they're going to say, okay, well, you answered all of my questions. So, yeah, you're right. We're going to give you that money for, you know, that special project. Or you're right. We're, we're going to make sure that, you know, our airmen don't treat your airmen that way because we admit that we were doing the wrong thing. There are really, I've, I've been, there are some really sharp people out there that don't know, you, you know, uh, you think, for example, I, I have an engineering degree, so I might think maybe I know a thing or two about engineering. 
and that maybe I know more about building construction than some than some random person who uh, works at JFHQ or whatever. And then I've been surprised, I don't know how many times, by a person who has absolutely no engineering experience but has a lot of officer experience, and they just they know what questions. They'll ask very pointed questions that you just didn't think of. Uh, no matter how professional, no matter how much you know about your particular subject, you need to you need to know you need to just be prepared. Just like the, just like uh, LT said, um, it's kind of like being prepared to be unprepared about something. Yes, mm. I I when you were mentioning your story uh, a minute ago, I I had this vision of Men in Black, the movie Men in Black, and all the officers, all these Olympians, and all these high highly qualified officers are sitting in a room and here comes will smith and everybody's trying to they're struggling with writing on their papers and will smith just walks over and drags the heaviest table you've ever seen over to his chair so that he could write on the table oh yeah and that you know being prepared to be unprepared he was unprepared but he made the most of it you know um having having the skills to be able to make, to adapt to the environment and uh, the scenario. I have two pieces of advice. Um, we've kind of spoken about it inadvertently. Uh, I would say to work on your communication skills and all communication skills, writing, reading, speaking. Uh, I My undergrad was in communication and now I'm working on my master's degree as well. And I like to journal. So I am constantly trying to better how I write because we write emails all the time and we write those memos. And if you are a more persuasive person from it, you are able to get things done, not only for your own objectives, but for the people you're leading to. So if you can practice those skills before you need them, I would do that. The second piece of advice I have is to be ready to find the smartest person in the room and go talk to them. Right now, uh, I, I said that I had a communication degree, and now I am in a very technical career field where I am learning you know, the ins and out of how a phased array radar works. And if you told me that in college when I got space as my assignment, I well, I did. I cried because I was so nervous about having to do something that I had no skills for. But if you can bring a different side of expertise into things, you're going to excel. But going back to finding the smartest person, if you can learn from them and learn to soak up as much experience and knowledge that they have, you are basically learning from failures and experiences without having to experience themselves. You're experience them yourself. So two pieces, work on the communication skills and then find and look for the people in the room who are extremely smart. And you know, that reminded me of something. Another thing is don't you ever think that you are the smartest person (laughs) in the room. Like even, even if you are, don't you ever, ever, ever come across like you are the one who's the smartest. Don't. Nobody will work for you. No, they won't. And they won't want to work with you. It doesn't matter how good you are at something. You're not going to get anything done because you need people to get things done and no one will want to work with you. Absolutely. Your job is to lead, but you can't lead if you don't have any followers. Absolutely. hundred percent. That's great advice. Mm-hmm. So uh, wrapping it up, is there anything additional you'd like to throw out there? Uh, 
So I think we we talked a lot about the I think the pitfalls and things that you can fall into as an officer, but um, I just kind of want to wrap up and say, at the end of the day, I'm happy that I made the decision that I did. I I'm proud to be an Air Force officer. It's given me experiences that I going into my military career I never I never would have thought that I'd have the opportunity to. Um, and things that I wouldn't have you know if you told me when I was enlisted like hey you're gonna consider getting this position description classified as like a big win. Like I'd be like, that's really lame. Like that's not cool at all. That's, you know, but, but those things now, like they are huge wins to me because they affect the force that I lead. They, they give better quality of life, you know, to, to my airmen. Like they are things that I am so proud of and their experiences that I might not have gotten if I didn't make the jump to being a, to being an officer. So um, you know, again, I, I think we, we talked a lot about, you know, some of the pitfalls and things like that, but at the end of the day, I'm happy that I made the decision that I did and it is, it is worthwhile. It's worth it. Yeah, I agree with that one too. Uh, when I joined the military, I joined in 2002 and when I joined, I had I was just like, hey, maybe I'll be a mechanic. And, uh, you know, thinking back to that person, um, I wasn't much different from that when I commissioned and then since I commissioned, um, the level of drive and the level of work, I, I, I don't know how to, like it changed, it changes you as a human being. Um, I can't, I can't say that it will, it changed me as a human being, I guess, I guess I should say, but it, it, uh, w- one of the best decisions I've ever made, um, in my life was to actually m- make the jump and become an officer. Um, even with all the, even with all the problems, un, unknown problems, problems that nobody, nobody, uh, thinks of even, even with all of that. Uh, yeah, I, I would absolutely, if I had to go back, I, sometimes I just kick myself for, I, when I was 18, I wish I would have just gone to college and, and just commissioned straight out. Um, the things that you're a part of, you, you watch the news sometimes and, and you see things on the news that you actually had a hand in, um, not all the time, but, you know, uh, during COVID, um, you know, you go and, and you do things. And then when the governor gets on TV, they're bragging about stuff that you did. Like, like you were the one that made that happen. You were the brains behind the operation. Um, and uh, your people, it makes you feel good to be able to tell your people how good they, like, like that, that I don't, just, it was, it was great. It's great. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) I would have to say that I have fallen into the trap of an officer as, oh, I see someone who's really good, and I'm like, I'm going to be just like them. That doesn't always work. You can take bits and pieces from people, but you really have to figure out who you are first because if you're trying to be someone else and follow their path to success, that's not going to work for you, and you're going to come across as disingenuine. So figure out who you are, what works for you, and be the best leader that that person is. Don't I really love public speaking and getting up in front of people, but if that's not you, you know, don't force yourself into that because it might come across as a little strange. (laughs) Again, work on those skills because you will be forced to do it, but be the best leader with the skills that you already have and just make those better. That's but fantastic. Yeah, I'm with everyone that I definitely think this was a great decision. Uh, I love what I do every day. That's awesome. 
That's awesome. Well, with that, we're going to wrap this up. Um, I want to thank each of you for coming on the panel and imparting your advice and your knowledge and uh, your experiences with the audience. Uh, it's been great having you. Thanks. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks. And uh, to the audience, um, thanks for joining us here on Chevron's, and we will be back next month with a whole new episode.